You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Literature Corner. And isn't it awesome? I know how much you love books. We had an entire hour there with an absolutely fabulous human being and great South African who'd written this amazing book. And we still have our regular feature. And not only do we have our regular Literature Corner, we have one of your faves back, Kate Sidley, author, columnist, and just a absolutely fantastic book reviewer and um, and a wonderful person to hang out with. Thanks for playing with us again. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, we've got lots of goodies here. Where are we going to start? I'm at your mercy. Because, I like, that's um, what I like to hear. <laughs> Where's the whip? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start. We've got lots to talk about. I'm going to start with two nonfiction books. Um, the first one is A Memoir of Sorts. It's by one of my very favorite novelists, Maggie O'Farrell, and I'm sure that some of your listeners uh, would probably know her works. She wrote a book called The Hand That First Held Mine, mm. The Vanishing Act of Esme Lennox. She's just a really breathtakingly good writer, a real master of her craft. And this book is actually a memoir of hers. Uh, it's called I Am, I Am, I Am, 17 Brushes with Death. And the I am, I am, I am part comes from uh, Sylvia Plath, the bell jar, and it's what opens up the book. And I'll just read that quote to you because it kind of gives a, a good sense. I took a deep breath and listened to the old brag of my heart. I am, I am, I am. And this is a book about 17 times when she nearly died. So it's not a memoir where it starts with, oh, I was born in 1972 and my father From did cradle that. to <laughs> grave. <laughs> yeah. so, which is quite nice. And each of these 17 little stories uh, is a standalone story and it's beautifully written. And they, they're individually done, so they're in different styles and so on as well. And uh, she she chronicles this improbable number of near misses and of course the thing about a near miss is that it's it's life a near-death experience is survival you know so that's the kind of the the sort of flip side of it and she, it tells us a lot about how she became a writer because at eight years old she had encephalitis and she was hospitalized in isolation and paralyzed for for months Jeez. and everyone expected her to die mm. and she writes about how being bedridden how this illness of hers made her into a writer because she became an observer. It made her an interpreter of the micro expressions on her mother's face. I love that. Of the, the pauses in the doctor's, um, talking. Um, I love and that. So, yeah, it's amazing. Can I tell you a sidebar story? Yeah, please do. It reminds me of something that Nadine Gordon has said to me once. Um, I had interviewed her with a friend of mine and she talked about the importance. She said to me, you see this, if you don't like gossiping then you will never be a good storyteller <laughs> and as a child i used to i used to basically watch what the adults were doing observing them closely and a good storyteller shuts up and they observe mm. what's going on so you got to love gossip and you also got to love being a peeping tom Absolutely. And she was the ultimate peeping Tom because she was stuck there in this bed. And I mean, in one story, she, in, I mean, in this story, she overheard a nurse outside the door talking to another child who was making a bit of noise and the, said, hush, there's a little girl in there and she's dying. Oh, and she, yeah, jeepers. And it's extraordinary. Wow. Um, so she had all these experiences. I mean, she had a chilling encounter as a teen with a murderer who murdered the next girl. You know, I mean, it was really extraordinary. She wow. almost drowned twice. And you um, say this is nonfiction? This is her life. And My goodness. Sort of What's the title? It's called I Am, I Am, I Am, 17 Brushes with Death. Wow. Um, so it sounds bizarre and rather macabre, but it really isn't. I have um, to confess, I don't even know her, her other work. 
Yeah, she's she's probably. I, I'm not sure if it's a necessary genre that you might read, but she's a really, okay. really lovely writer. Could one and, read um, the biographical stuff? And enjoy it for the kind of reasons you've sketched, even if you're not familiar oh, with, yes. with the work. You okay. could. Yeah, you definitely could. And, okay. and the thing about it as well is that, um, she, well, she, she had a, she, she lives constantly actually in the fear of death because she has a child who's very, very allergic and has to be taken to the emergency room literally, <coughs> excuse me, every year because she's, you know, one of the, if they can, if she smells a peanut or something, she can go into an epileptic shock. Sheepers. Um, so, so she's incredibly vulnerable and it's a book about how vulnerable we are in the world, all of us. Mm. We, we sort of on the brink of death, hmm. um, which is a life lesson in itself. Um, does um, it? Yeah. Does it therefore feel angsty? No, it doesn't. It feels somewhat existential. I think I would okay. say, um, in that it's a book about survival, in hmm. as much as it's a book about these near misses. Okay, but not five minutes from Prozac. Oh no, no, no! It's, it's actually not really depressing. Okay. Um, and the way that she describes it, it was quite an interesting thing because she, as a young adult, she tells a boyfriend about some of these stories, and and he says, "Oh my God, how unlucky you were!" You know, and she <laughs> she was shocked and surprised by his response because she said, "Well, she'd always understood it." to be an indication of how lucky she was that mm. she hadn't been hit by that car mm. or, you know, died of amoebic dysentery or whatever it was. <laughs> I love it. Now, so, the, next, the next one we're going to talk about goes like this. The knock on the door. Yeah. Um, and, and any of the activists from the 80s, a lot of them will say that they, they knew that knock, mm. um, that particular <laughs> knock at maybe three o'clock in the morning. Um, and this is called um, The Knock on the Door, the story of the detainees' parent support committee. And it's written by Terry Shakanovsky and Sharon Court um, with contribution from a lot of people who are involved in that organization. Um, and for people, a lot of people these days probably, you know, too young to even remember it. Um, but in 1981, this, this organization started. And it was started by, uh, amongst other people, Max and Audrey Coleman, whose son Keith was detained. And he spent five months in um, sure. John Forster Square. And his father, Max, went down there just about every day. And with other parents, they founded uh, this organization. And they started by supporting detainees and their families in, in um, you know, quite practical ways with advice and food parcels and clothes and so on. And, and they raised awareness and they stood on the street corners with their placards and they called for the release of their children. Um, and they kept these detainees um, in the public eye, uh, locally and abroad, with their writing and their petitions and so on. But it's an extraordinary story. I, I really thought it was such a good read. And I, I was just thinking when I read it about how the history of South Africa, there's so much that hasn't been written. And these little slices of history are so important and so edifying and so moving. And you know what? When I first saw over the last couple of weeks this book being spoken about online, that's the first thing that came to my mind, is that we often, when we even tell the stories of the fight against apartheid, we often talk about the big men mm. and a couple of the big women, mm. and we forget about how many different circles of resistance existed inside the big resistance. And the solidarity between relatives, friends of detainees and what you do to detainees and what you do to survive, to visit them, etc. I mean, that, that is just like a classic example of sites of struggle and resistance that we tend to marginalize because of the grand narrative around the mm. famous names. And, and it, what's interesting about this is that these people were often people who were forced into being um, advocates and activists 
um, because of what their ch- what's happened to their children. So, and they were drawn together from all different parts of South Africa, all different worlds. Mm. You know, wealthy people and poor people, and black people and white people, and townships and suburbs and so on. And they had this incredible experience that bonded them. Um, and they were swept up in events to a certain extent, and they became really a powerful force, and they became, you know, part of the broader democratic movement. Mm. Um, and important chroniclers of what went on. Absolutely, um, that's stunning. And, and it was amazing. Stunning. And I just think, you know, to think back now as a parent, uh, obviously at the time, you know, I was a young person when I first sort of came across them, but as a parent, to just imagine that, imagine having your kids taken, um, and some of them as young as nine years old. Yeah. Absolutely. Also uh, reminded me of a, one of the themes that haven't been discussed publicly much of Rahana Rousseau's book, What Will People Say, includes, in fact, um, some of the youngsters in the high school that get detained. And then what happens when yes. these committees are formed to try and keep tabs on their loved ones that have been incarcerated? Let's take a break. 702 and Cape Talk. The Literature Corner. We're in conversation with Kate Sidley, who's back on the show, and we're in the middle of talking about the knock on the door. And this is a work of nonfiction and tells the story of the detainees' parent support committee. Yeah, so the other thing about this book, which I thought was quite interesting as a reader, is that it is the story of building an organization, as well as the personal stories, which are quite fascinating. Um, and when we think about now, we talk so much about the need for strong civil society organizations and so on. That's right. And, and they did so much with so little. They raised money, but not very much of it, obviously. It's mm. not that easy to raise money. And, and they really they had such a big impact. And um, I, I really liked the quote from Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu uh, about this book. And he says, I urge you to read this book and to learn from it. It is not a story of the past, but a story of the noblest part of ourselves, that part of us that must stand with all the oppressed and exploited people, whether in South Africa or across the world in the face of injustice and abuse of power. <laughs> and, and these were just ordinary people who, who actually did that. And it, it's, it's a really lovely book, and it's not, um, it's not particularly a heavy read, and I would recommend it. I think a lot of people would learn a lot from it and enjoy it. 100%. And I'm definitely going to put it on my list of books to read for precisely the reason that you, that you, that you are underlying. There's so much we need to recover. Apartheid may be over, but there were actually some incidentally very important but sort of community-centered things mm. we did that we now actually need again in 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 the post-apartheid era, and I think that's the, the that that's besides honoring these folks, it's also important to recover certain praxis that we actually still need in 2018. Yes, and to and to learn from their experiences. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Great. This weekend is King's Mead. It is very exciting. I mean, this is like proper lit fest season. Uh, we've got King's Mead this weekend and King's Mead Book Fair this weekend, and it's on Saturday. And to how people can still buy tickets. Yes. You know where they can? Web tickets? Uh, yes, web tickets. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also kingsmead.co.za. I think mm. it might be actually. Um, yeah, but very easy to Google. And You're going to be there. Tickets. I'm going to be That's there. That's reason enough to, to go. She's <laughs> going to be there. You're going Many to be of your there. faves are going to be there. That uh, irritating Eusebius guy is going to be there. <laughs> Reedy Klabi will be there. Sasonkum Samang. Tracy Going is going to be there. Bangani Bingwa. I mean, it, it really is yeah. an incredible lineup of interesting authors and uh, just South African folks also in the news and current affairs space. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's always a great day and it's, it's a fun day. There's always sort of nice food and something to drink and someone to chat to. And something and for everyone, including some, for, for, for children as well. Bring them along. Yeah, there's a children's program, um, which I, I'm not really talking about because it's not the yeah. bit that I know about. But um, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on. And okay, who are you going to be interviewing? Um, I'm going to be interviewing Kate Moss, 
who has an E on the end of her name. She is not the supermodel. She is the super writer, <laughs> just to be clear. And Kate Furnival. Um, I know that's a confusing number of Kates in one place, but anyway, all three of us. Um, yeah, and these are two very, very well-known, well-regarded British uh, novelists, and they both write historical fiction. And it's not really normally my genre, historical fiction. And one of the nice things about doing these interviews with people is you get to read a bit outside of your genre. And That's sure. true, particularly if you're Kate Sidley and you take that role very seriously. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm an over-preparer. <laughs> yes. so, so I read both of these books uh, recently. Uh, Kate Furnival's book is called The Betrayal. And the story begins with a brutal murder of the father of 17-year-old twins, uh, Romain and Florence, um, in France. And their gardener is guillotined for the crime, but these two girls both know that he didn't do it. And so they have this secret that they share. And that's the start of the book, and it moves to Paris, and the, the bulk of the book takes place eight years later, and it's 1938, and of course France is poised on the brink of, of war, and the two sisters are now leading very different lives. And uh, one of the hallmarks of these kinds of books is often these sort of very plucky heroines, which is always quite, quite fun to read, you know. <laughs> so the one sister um, is brave, and she's a sort of poker-playing, hard-drinking. Um, I, I, I never know how to say this word. I don't think I've ever said it. Aviatrix or aviatrix? Uh, 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 a woman who flies aeroplanes. That's a very good question. Aviatrix? <laughs> I don't know. This may be the first time. Some linguists will tell us how to say it. Aviatrix sounds right to me. Sounds right to me. So she's involved in, in flying supplies and guns and people and things to rebels in Spain. And the other one is this socialite, and she's married to a wealthy and high-ranking government official um, in Paris. So the story gallops along. Um, there are secrets and tension and suspense and revelations uh, there are twins which are always quite fun and there's a love story as one would expect and it gives you quite a nice little chunk of history about uh, about France and about the Spanish Civil War and so on uh, without overdoing it it's quite a nice light read um, but oh, you'll, okay. you'll learn a bit yeah it's historical it's fiction always sounds besward Oh, uh, no, it's not really. No, this one really isn't. It's very it's very nice and readable, yeah. Okay, you've been reading some really, like, interesting stuff. Because yeah, the last thing I read was, <laughs> <laughs> was a trashy novel written by Leon von, Leon von Nirop called uh, Toy Boy. Oh, uh, I've been seeing that around. I'd like to read it. Was it good? <laughs> I just bought it because the guy on the cover is hot. Yeah. It was racy. I'm not, yeah. you know, into heterosexual sex. It's a foreign thing to me. But I kind of enjoyed this guy who's a sex worker who lives in Mabinang area. Mm -hmm. And he's got all these interesting uh, women who are high-powered that secretly uh, he does sex work for them, on them, at their behest. Um, but Leon is such a good storyteller. I mean, he'd written, I didn't even know, there's some 30 books, oh, really? incredible number of TV series. He's also the one who wrote Ballada for Anklin. I mean, that was news to me. I didn't know that. And unsurprisingly, it turns out that he's a good storyteller. So I thought it was just going to be 200 plus pages of, um, of sex. But it's actually a really good story and it takes interesting turns. And, and it was an interesting reading experience for me because al although I found it easy to read, it's one of those plain reads, as one might say. Mm. And I literally read it on the train to PE and then back again last weekend. Um, I actually hated the main character. I hated, um, the character Tristan that is the toy boy. Oh, really? I found him really flat and uninteresting. But what makes this little novel, besides the fact that it's a cool, easy to read novel without thinking, is that the women are interesting. His oh, well, clients are absolutely fascinating. That's far more interesting. interesting than him, despite yeah. the fact that he gets centered on the front page by this model that obviously was photographed to, to be his incarnation on the, on the cover of the book. 
Yeah, you would see, you would imagine that the women would be sort of cardboard cutouts for yeah, you know, background yeah, for the story. exactly, so just add-ons. But yeah. actually, the the women have far more complexity than than he does, which I think is is refreshing. Yeah, yeah. That, that is interesting. Yeah. But there's another book that you have read by other Kate, isn't there? Yes, the other, two? the other the other Kate, um, Kate Moss, wrote a book called her brand new book. It only came out in the last week or so. It's called The Burning Chambers, and she is a very very uh, big selling. She sold, I think, five million copies of her books in. Thirty-eight languages. Wow, we and can only dream. She's quite a formidable woman, actually. She was one of the founders of the Bailey's Prize for Fiction, which oh, is the women's right. prize. Mm. Yeah. So, and, and what I think is quite funny about this book is that it's a first in a trilogy, and I always admire the confidence of somebody who can start writing a book and say, "This is the first <laughs> in a <the> trilogy." <laughs> Hello, Fiona. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So the central character in this is a, a young woman who's the daughter of a bookshop owner, and she receives an anonymous letter. Uh, which says she knows that you live. Mm-hmm. And while she's pondering this mysterious message, uh, she comes upon a, a young Huguenot convert. Oh, I should probably have said at the very beginning, uh, I should have done that, that this is set in France in the 16th century. Okay. So it's during the time of the Huguenots, who were the French Protestants, and they were gaining influence and so on, and they were also heavily persecuted, as we know, by Catholic France. So there's a bit of a love story in this one as well. Um, and, uh, and, and quite a lot of history. This one has a, quite a bit more history than the, the previous one that I mentioned. Um, it's a bit of a longer book. Um, and it all happens against the turmoil of this time. Mm. And, um, yeah, so you've got the religious divide and conspiracies and secrets and betrayals and so on. Um, and then the personal story. So if you like that kind of thing, it's a nice read. Um, it is a biggish book, but it's quite fast paced. So if you can, if you're quite a reasonably fast paced, uh, fast reader, it mm. won't take you too long. But those the last two books that you read, what, what do you you currently reading or what last um, year? Currently, I am reading. I've forgotten the name of it now. Oh gosh! Um, but I have also read a couple of other books recently. I read Fiona Snicker's new book Spire, also mm. for Franchuk, which is also a very nice. It's a breakneck speed kind of thriller, which is really a good fun read. Okay. Um, yeah, and The Blessed. Have you read The Blessed? I loved it. Yeah, I uh, absolutely it love it. Yeah. I told Karima to read it a couple of weeks ago. She also enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It, it was one of those ones that was sitting around on my bedside table for a while and I and I picked it up and I, I thought it was great. I also think no, I, absolutely. I think back. I still have a crush on the Nigerian blesser in there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a stunning, 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 stunning book. It's amazing uh, how much is coming out of South African writing at the moment. Really, really, absolutely yeah, and awesome. Such diversity. I think that's what's so there nice is. as well. That there's something for everybody, really. There is. There is. Yeah. Okay, okay. Thanks so much. I'm gonna see you on Saturday. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking yeah. forward And are you going to go to the Sunday Times uh, announcement? Yes. If you were a betting man, Eusebius, what would be your... uh Yes, like no fly here, may I frog. I'll just, I'll just, um, let me stick to the, no- I'll bet on the, on the non-fiction. You can bet on the fiction. I was going to say that too. I would rather <laughs> bet on the non-fiction. <laughs> now, let me, let me qualify it firstly by saying, I, I wish I had the list in front of me because I, then, I'll, then, I'll, then I'll do it properly. But this is not... The four that I would pick, which is a different answer to the question, who I think will mm. actually be picked. And I'm guessing here just from my knowledge of who the judges are, because reading is a subjective process. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make a couple of predictions. Always Another Country by Sasonka Musamang will be shortlisted. Yes. Jacques Poe's book, The President's Keepers, will be shortlisted. Really Clabby's book, Quasi will be shortlisted. 
And then I think there's an incredible bun fight for about an amazing bun fight for about an amazing five, six other books that all deserve the fourth spot. And I wouldn't know who to give it. A dark horse that I think won't be there, but that should have been taken more seriously, for example, is Republic of Gupta by Peter Louis Mayberg. But I don't know. But the three that I've mentioned, I absolutely think will be there. And it's not what I necessarily would choose. Because if I had to choose, I would also put Pumla's book in there. But mm-hmm. I don't think she's going to be shortlisted. Oh, you don't I've got, think so? I've got my reasons why I think so. Yeah. I don't think she'll be shortlisted. Yeah, I, I actually, I had my two that I thought were most likely to be on the shortlist were uh, Jacques Poe's book, obviously, and, and Sisonke's book. I really loved her book. I think it was a, a really good effort. It's um, interesting what it's the popular. passage of time does, right? Because if the announcement happened two weeks after the launch of Quezu by Reading, mm-hmm. she would definitely have been mm-hmm. shortlisted. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably the case that she'll be shortlisted. But because time has now passed, one can now have a conversation. Did she write a book into the moment, or is this a book that will be defining and enduring across time? Mm. So Sonka's book is just so brilliant stylistically and subtle in its themes. You have to shortlist it. Jacques Poe's book, Help to Get Rid of President Mm. Jacob Zuma, you have to shortlist it. I think there will be an interesting discussion about Reedy's book. Mm. What new did we really learn, or was it just important contextually at the time at which Zuma was falling? I still think she should be shortlisted, but I think I can imagine a contrarian making a case why not. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that. And I think that it did have such momentum in the beginning. Um, and it didn't maybe keep up quite as much of, of momentum. But you know what? If you have so much momentum yeah. that you already sell like, yeah. what, 10, 20,000 oh, copies, then like, yeah. I'll live with it. I'll settle for that for over, over a three, four year period, yeah. quite frankly. Once we know who's been shortlisted for both ones, why don't you come back in a couple of weeks and before they announce the winners, you and I can predict where the winners will be. Let's do Shall it. Shall we do it that? Be like that octopus or whatever that <laughs> predicts the World Cup, the football. You know? We're going to do that. <laughs> okay. Thanks for coming in. I'm going to see you on Saturday. You. Kate, always a pleasure having you on my show. It's